Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on Gear 30, we are, well, making sure that you didn't miss a really good conversation that we recently had about design, but this conversation took place over on our Off the Couch podcast. And since Off the Couch is our running podcast, and some of you, you know, design dorks who love Gear 30, but maybe don't listen to all the Off the Couch episodes, we thought, well, maybe you missed this one, and we didn't want you to miss this one. So you are going to hear the conversation that our running editor, Matt Mitchell, had with the co-founder and president of Naked Sports Innovations, Lindsay Dakota, about the new Naked Sports shoe. And pretty interestingly, I think two listeners of Gear 30, how the design of this shoe was quite inspired by Lindsay's background in ski touring and schemo. But that's not all, folks. In this conversation, too, you're going to get to hear Lindsay talk about this. It's Well, it's a bit of a design philosophy or design principle of his. He calls it simplexity. And I'm going to let Lindsay explain simplexity himself. But I think this is something that, again, any of us who care about design across any category field. The notion of simplexity kind of is a good thing, I think, to hear about and see if you are in agreement or not, or where it might make sense to sort of depart from this. Now, two other things in this episode I want to quickly highlight. For those of you who are runners or hikers or scramblers, if you haven't heard about the Naked Sports Running Band, you should probably be aware of this piece of gear. And you'll hear our running editor, Matt, talk quite a bit about how popular this band has become among many world-class runners. And then related to that, basically, you're going to get to hear the story. And I'm always interested personally in these stories kind of the origin stories of a brand or company, you're going to get to hear a bit about how the creation of this running band basically led to the creation of this company, which of course then brings us into this conversation about Naked Sports' first running shoe. So, you know, it's all kind of interrelated here, and mostly it's a good conversation that will kind of get your design wheels turning, as it were. And so let's go ahead and get to this conversation with Matt Mitchell and Lindsay Dakota. And a reminder, if you have not subscribed to our Off the Couch podcast, well, you should, because then you'll be sure to not miss some conversations like this. You see? You're welcome. Here we go. Lindsay, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for the invitation, Matt. It's awesome. Why don't we start by talking a little bit about Naked Sports Innovation. I'm curious about how you guys got started. Yeah, so it was 2014. Um, I was living in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm an industrial designer and a mountain runner. So I was out running one day in the, the Malibu Mountains. It was hot and uh, just wearing a pair of shorts and shoes. And I didn't even bring my phone. Um, 
And I thought, well, that's really stupid. I need to, to bring something and water, that type of thing. So prior to that, I never brought anything. So I had bought several products and, and, you know, as you do as a designer, you're always looking at stuff and going, well, why can't we do this better? Can we, you know, isn't there something, a better solution than this? So I came up with this idea for a continuous band around the waist that stretched. As a designer, I'm always looking for stripping away, bringing it back to its essence, um, a minimalist, so to speak. So, um, I had this idea and um, I got uh, one made by some lady down in downtown LA and we had made one and tried it out and I was like, damn, this thing kind of works. And, um, and you know, up until this point, everything was kind of fanny packs. There was nothing in the performance sports industry that was a continuous waistband. So, so that, that's it, uh, basically the, uh, the, the essence of the idea. Um, now to that is my partner in the business, my co-founder is my brother. He's a triathlete. So I sent it to him and I knew Rick is his name. I knew that he'd be like, dude, this is either really dumb. It's ain't going to work or it's going to be great. And so I sent him a copy of the one I made and uh, he tried it and, and he loved it. And he's like, let's do something with this. So that was the, uh, the beginning of it. Were you always pretty into mountain running? Yeah, I've always, well, my sports are uh, mountain sports. So I like ice climbing. Uh, I use an ex-alpine uh, ski racer. I love skimo, backcountry skiing, um, anything to do with the mountains and the outdoors. So I've always been gravitated towards climbing peaks, so to speak. Um, and my son, who's a ski mountaineer now, likes to joke that we'll never go up a mountain unless we bring our skis back with us, right? because we're not going to waste any snow, but, but running in and being in the mountains is, is where, you know, it's what I love. So how did your history in design kind of like shape your approach to outdoor gear specifically? Uh, you know, it's my approach is really what I like to design for myself. And I, I just trust my gut. Um, so I've always been, I, I look at anything, whether it's a, a bicycle or a car or a chair or whatever, and I'm always looking at it from a design point of view. Um, I, I believe that if you can design a great chair, you can probably design a great something else or a great widget or, or whatever. I think each segment in our consumer products um, informs each other. Uh, and, and I'm always, like I said previously, I'm a minimalist. So I'm always looking at, hey, you know, can we do a chair, but do it with three legs or two legs, you know, stripping away the essence until you get to this place where you can't take away anything more, but it still functions at, at its highest. Yeah, I've, so, I've, I've heard you use the term um, simplexity before. Yeah. Uh, is that kind of what you mean by that? It, exactly. It's that's a term actually coined by my brother, and um, and he applied that to my design philosophy. So, um, you know, it's you know people people can look at something very simple and go, well, you know, why is it X amount of dollars? It looks real simple, right? But but to 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 design something and have it function at its highest and exceed expectations, but do it very simply is a very complex thing to do. It can be costly. It can uh, be time-consuming. Um, it, it's just a, a kind of a, a, a very difficult way to arrive at something simple. 
So how does the naked running band kind of differ from uh, the the fanny packs and the other kind of quote unquote belts that that you saw on the market at the time? Well, nothing existed at the time. So everything you see from um, from our so-called competitors, uh, I've probably shipped to them at one time or another. Solomon did this, did this for example, and, and they were very gracious about it. They, they made no bones about it. They're like, yeah, ship it to us in France. And it was, I think, our second year of business. And I called my brother almost in tears going, you know what? We're dead in the water. We haven't even barely got it started and we're getting going to get killed by the big brands. But, you know, we just we just focused on making a better product. You know, it, it's we, we worked on the material. We, we worked on the simplicity of the of the of the band itself. Uh, we paid great attention to how it was constructed because, you know, a lot of these these products are worn against your skin. And if you're going to be running long distances in the heat and everything else like that, uh, the wrong place st- uh, stitch or a seam can wreak havoc. So, so you know, we just constantly keep improving and, and, and make keeping it as simple as possible. So the Naked Band has gotten, like, exceedingly popular over the last four or five years. I worked in uh, a run specialty store and I know we carried your guys's products for quite a while and couldn't keep it on the shelf. And uh, speaking to your point about maybe some of your imitators, it was funny seeing um, all these other uh, bands and belts come in that would sit right next to the naked belts and not move at all. Um, So has it kind of taken you by surprise how popular uh, your products have become? You know, it's, it's, that's a weird thing. It's it's you hope it will, you know. You, you put so much passion into a, a product or a, a design or, or or whatever, and and it's always it's just so enjoyable to see it. I think there's a lot of sac- satisfaction, right? We get emails from customers. They become part of you know. It's a cliche, but they become part of our family, and we pride ourselves on on consumer relations and customer service, and things like that. Um, but you know, we're, yeah, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. You know, what I can focus on is making the best possible products available. And I think if, if I can focus on that, the results will be satisfaction by customers. Uh, we'll stay one or two steps ahead of our competitors, things like that. You know, there's, it was actually funny because, you know, for the longest time, we were the only guys making this band. And it, it felt kind of cool. And then when other people started to come up with their versions, I was subtly um, very disappointed, and then I realized, well, you know what? It, it doesn't matter, right? It's it's the now it's it's open, so there's no fear that we're going to be overtaken by a big brand because we think like a big brand, even though we're small. And um, uh, yeah, we just if we just keep our noses to the grindstone, so to speak, and focus on building the best goods, you know, I think we're we're pretty safe. One thing I've really noticed about your band is the materials you use, specifically the mesh. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, your proprietary mesh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, it, I think that because of the simplicity of our products, what makes them work so well is the materials. Um, that's the that's kind of the the limiting factor in new ideas. You know, I love to say like, well, you know, Leonardo da Vinci invented the helicopter back in the 1400s, but he didn't have the materials to make the damn thing, right? Um, so had he had what was available to us now, he probably would have made a helicopter. But um, with our mesh, 
it was a lot of experimentation with mills to get the right blends of elastine and nylon, which is the two biggest components. It's surprising to some people that it's not as stretchy as it would, would appear. It stretches enough. It right. It's it it it's just the right balance of stretch to support, um, and and contributing to that is the fact that we have twelve sizes. Um, they're very incremental. Um, it's a very highly engineered sizing uh, range, um, and that supports the material in itself. And it's it's super bulletproof fabric. It breathes obviously as being a mesh. Um, it, it functions, which uh, is really uh, was a surprise to us. It functioned equally as well in the water as it does out. So it does appeal to uh, non-runners such as uh, triathletes, um, long-distance open water swimmers. They use it. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, took a little bit of experimentation, but uh, coming up with the right blend is was was key. What I think is great about the naked band in particular is like you don't need to wear it for like a super long run. Like I wear it on a five mile run around the block just to carry my phone. Um, and I think that kind of versatility and like daily use is really, really valuable on a piece of gear. Um, and one that's as durable as your product. Uh, going back to the sizing, what kind of motivated you to come up with 12 different sizes? Cause you know, that's what like three times more than, than normal brands come out with. Yeah, it's and we don't even. I mean, we call them sizes one through twelve too, which is is interesting. Um, it we started with six sizes, and um, it, that with six sizes that gave us four pockets. And I was because you have a finite uh, product, right? You have a it, it's a circular, it's a three hundred sixty degree product. And I was thinking, well, how can we um, improve the capacity of it without changing the width? Uh, there's no other way because it's a finite loop. So there's no other way to increase the capacity except for taking out one of the pockets. And by taking out the pockets, it gave us three large pockets. So instead of being limited to two flasks, we can carry three flasks at one time. That's a liter and a half of, of fluids. Um, and so in doing so, that created the opportunity to do even more sizing. And of course, then everybody else started coming out with theirs with six sizes. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to beat you at this. We're going to go to 12 and give you more capacity. So um, it was an interesting uh, time to do that. Yeah. Was that like a difficult thing to manage in terms of like production? Uh, no, no, it wasn't really. Um, it meant, you know, we, we have an incredible uh, tech designer who um, supports me and in, in my ideas and you know we just had to sh we had to shift seams move seams around you know all the seams are staggered so we don't get a buildup of stitching in one area um so that um yeah that that you know was, was great that that made it happen what do you think of all these sponsored runners that um you don't support that are wearing your product because you see so many on starting lines that have no affiliation to naked when you do have your own like kind of list of of runners that you support yeah th that's that's pretty funny it's um that was brought to my attention by um a very well-known very fast ultra runner in the u.s and uh he had uh, blacked out logos and things like that you know we we, we just look at that as a um I, I don't know a cool thing i mean we just we're, we take pride in that you know would we love to sponsor these people? Yeah, that'd be awesome, you know. But um, but the, it but it just it just purely shows that that 
the product speaks for itself. And these people buy these products. They don't call me and, and ask for you know a, a handout. In fact, I think it was Western State two years ago, we had three out of the top four guys we were in the band. None of them were sponsored by Naked. Yeah. So fortunately this year we have Camille Heron going into the race sponsored by Naked and, and she, she will certainly show the products. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, we think it's great. We kind of think it's kind of funny. Yeah, I remember last year I was at the Western States finish line and Jim Walmsley came through uh, and you, you know, he won the race by like an hour. Yeah. And yeah. in the post-race interview, he was talking about how he stayed cool because Western States last year was a scorcher. And he yeah. credited he credited uh, the Naked Running Band because he was able to essentially tuck his shirt into it and then fill yeah. his shirt with ice and i just thought yeah. that was like the coolest thing and i've subsequently done that and it, it yeah, does yeah, really yeah. work well that's yeah that, thanks for for saying that yeah i mean and that's that speaks to the, the 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 uh it's not the waterproofness of it but it's the ability of the products to be worn when they're wet um you know we encourage people like with the vests to fill with ice you can fill the back you can fill the fronts the running band you can fill you know, and, and they melt and it, you know, obviously it, 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 it's hitting cold water is hitting, you know, uh, vital uh, organs and arteries. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little secret weapon that we have. Going back to your idea of complexity too, what I also noticed was that the fit of the band doesn't really change depending on whether or not you have like stuff in it. Um, yeah. it almost works the same way, like a collapsible soft flask would work. And yeah. that it just becomes more efficient the less stuff you have in it. Yeah, that's. I mean, you you know, we we do get feedback from people saying, well, you know, it it the more I put in, I think it depends on the weight of what's going in, um, and we do get that question a lot through customer service, and we do, like you said, we reinforce the fact that no, you you know, you can fill this thing up and it's probably going to fit the same. It's not going to expand. You know, you hear the odd exceptions, but we're dealing with human beings and, and the idiosyncrasies of human bodies and things like that. But, but for the most part, um, yeah, you can load these things up. And, and we, you know, like, you know, we have people, like you said, with Jim uh, running 100 mile races, right? With, with, of course, they have support stations, but uh, the running band does carry a lot and carries poles very effectively, which are becoming um, increasingly used in longer distances. So, Taking it back to talking a little bit more about um, sponsorships and ambassadors, how did you guys start that program and kind of what role does that play for a company like Naked? So speaking to that, so we're, we're tiny, right? And so we just felt that, like I think a lot of people do that, that ambassadors are really important because they're, they're, they're in the goods, right? They're, they're not being paid to say, you know, all oh, this product's fantastic or whatever. They're just, they, you know, they're they're great on the ground weapons. I mean, they speak to their local clubs. They they show up at a race and they have the products on, um, and, and it's vital. It was vital for us to grow as a brand, and they continue to be vital. Um, sponsored athletes are a whole uh, other kind of thing in the industry, um, but we're also looking into um, supporting groups that are marginalized. They speak with authenticity towards the products. Um, and we'll even support groups uh, that we have no public knowledge that we're doing this. It's just completely behind the scenes. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a really fun way to support people. What are some of the challenges of growth for a brand like Naked? Because you, you mentioned wanting to grow, but I, sometimes with these small brands, I, I think it's like difficult for them to grow sustainably. So I'm, I'm wondering 
what's been like the hardest parts uh, of that for you? Well, the hardest part is even though we've grown very quickly and we've grown quite large, you know, in the world, it's still there's so many there's there's obviously a lot of hurdles. There's acceptability in the market. There's um, why should we buy your product when we could buy another large brand? Financing things like that, you know, to you can speed up your growth through financing, but you have to be really careful how you do that. You know, you don't want to lose control of your business. You don't want to get into to too much debt in the early years. Sustainability. If you're speaking to uh, like corporate responsibility and environmental, um, it's very difficult with small brands in terms of uh, uh, sustainability and product because. We're in an industry that is so dependent on fossil fuels and um, and materials and tech, technology that isn't sustainable to a certain degree. Uh, one of the the, uh, the 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 weapons that we believe we have is is my partner uh, is a little more behind the scenes, but he's uh, been a a, a a communications and sustain, sustainability expert in the industry. So his corp his corporate uh, responsibility background bodes really well for us. And so what we want to do is control um, and build on what we can at this stage. And that's investing in people. You know, our factories are all uh, fair labor trade certified. We, we uh, are absolutely certain going into a factory that the people are treated well. They're not dumping PVCs and, and, and things out the back door into a river. Um, you know, our packaging is, uh, is you know, uh, certified forest products, things like that you know, cutting back on plastics, you know, and, and you see uh, large brands now coming out with the, the token white running shoe, right, made out of recycled bottles. And that's fantastic because they're, they're, they're looking into ways to do this. But in a, a little bit of a, a, a way, this is a little bit of greenwashing, um, you know, because they're making that one great product out of plastic bottles in very limited numbers. But then they have 100 other pairs being made out of plastics and you know so it's it's a little little tricky with that regard but right now what we can do and, and we will always look for ways to increase sustainability and, and grow and, and and things like that but what we can do now is control our, our our probably the most important resources which is the human beings making our products and and, and things like that was kind of minimizing your environmental uh, footprint a priority from the onset? Yeah, well, you know, with the guidance of my brother Rick and his his uh, his experience in that industry, it's it's been of the utmost importance. Absolutely. So it's always been it's always been in the forefront. So your products really haven't like changed all that much. They've been pretty green from the start. Well, I wouldn't say they're green. Um, you know, like I said, it's 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 hard to make high performance outdoor products that are. Uh, purely and, and very sustainable in that regard. What we can do, like I said, is, is, is to be sure that they're being made in the right manner and, and always be looking for the, the greener alternative. You know, if it means like cutting back on plastic bags or and, and doing your packaging out of recyclable paper, uh, you know, as a small brand, you do what you can do and, and that's all we can do, you know. But like I said, uh, it's, it's, you're always striving to, to you know, make that better. So you guys have had so much success with the, the Naked Running bands. How have you grown your product line since? So, you know, we 
sitting you know it was strange because it's a little bit like being in a rock band and it's like your first album comes out right and it's like oh great it did really well now what do we do for our right. second album right um but the running band um set the precedent it set the bar and that became a real design challenge for me um, because of course we wanted to get into other product ranges and lines and things like that and so i i wanted to to, to develop a vest and um the vest essentially is the same as a running band it's exactly the same materials we share all the same products and components. Um, again, it was an engineering, you know, not a nightmare, but a huge challenge to make this thing work. Um, and so that was the natural progression was to go into that. So, you know, we, we have gender specific sizing and, and shapes for our best products. We also produce a, um, a woman's sports bra, which we call the Spra. And it's essentially a, um, a patented fabric on the front. It's black, but it has the uh, same cooling properties of a white uh, textile. But being a sports bra, it also has the same back and sides as our vests. So it's, we use the mesh um, on the backs and sides. So the whole thing is a pocket, essentially. So um, that was the, the follow-up to the uh, vest products. So you said it had the same cooling properties. The bra had the same cooling properties as a white textile. How do you achieve yeah. that in something that's black? Because we all we're all been told, oh, don't wear black oh, yeah. when it's super hot out, because that'll just yeah. attract all the heat. Exactly. Well, we we were fortunate enough, even as a small brand, um, uh, to get into a licensing agreement with Scholar Textiles out of Switzerland, and they hold patents for uh, thermal um, technology like that. And uh, so it's patented. I don't know what the material or how they have achieved it. But the um, the testing and the uh, all the paperwork supporting it is, is and the anecdotal from the women wearing it is fantastic. So, yeah, it literally, it literally, I, I I've had the fabric on my forehead and run with it. I just wanted to see what it felt like, and and it feels like almost like an ice cream headache, but in a very mild mild way, and um, it's it's remarkable. And and so this company, it's it's a a very high end textile company, and. Um, uh, they're masters at these really fine fabrics and they've created this incredible fabric. How many iterations did the vest go through? Because I remember seeing like leaked pictures of it and I was like, where's the zipper? Because there's yeah. there's not a zipper, right? Well, in the original one, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, um, and it was great. It was a great idea. To, and of course, because we're always looking for ways to do something without adding more to it. Uh, perhaps we might've gone a little too far with that one. Um, what what it did was teach guys what the struggle is like for women to put take on and put on a sports bra after sweating or a workout right i mean it's it's tough you know it's really tough having said that when it's on it works brilliantly um but in 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 analyzing the designs and of course what can we do better and that's the whole thing is like what can we keep doing better every day what can we do better what can we do better adding a zipper was a very simple solution. It did not uh, affect the performance or the uh, capacity whatsoever. Um, it just made it easier. And also to looking to races like, you know, the UTMB where you've got to take your, your backpack off to, to or your hydration off to, to pass through the safety aid stations. Um, it just was just a quicker solution to that. Yeah, there's also like mandatory gear requirements at races yeah. like that. So exactly. I'm sure that factored factored into your design process as well. Absolutely, because we had, you know, we had, uh, uh, well, we do have athletes that race these races, and I'm, I'm watching to see what's going on and what they're doing and what their needs are, and um, and uh, yeah, adding the zipper made that super easy for them. 
who are some of the athletes uh, on your roster right now? Uh, currently, we have we have a great sort of a uh, well. We now with the shoe, we have a, a great partnership with Vibram, but we've always been quite involved with Vibram in terms of a- athletes. Um, you know, we've had Scotty Hawker in the past. Uh, we started with Gadaminas Grinius. Uh, he was our first athlete, and and he's he's been amazing. He's been with us from the beginning. Um, He's he's uh, obviously a, a great character, uh, a legend in the sport. Um, so we have him. Uh, we have a, a young woman named uh, Natalia Mastrota, who is with Team Vibram. Uh, she is a schemo racer and a mountain runner. So we have her. We have Camille Heron, uh, who needs no introduction. Um, and we have VJ Jones, who's the number one uh, OCR athlete in the world. We uh, yeah, we try to we try to cover different aspects. You know, I'd love to get a mountain biker because this, the, the running band is killer for mountain biking, um, things like that. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've attracted some. We had Pau Capel uh, two years ago. And um, so we, we get some great athletes, great athletes. And I think next year is going to be really exciting, too. We have a lot of interest in the new products. So I think we're stepping up our game. And, and I think you may, you're may you going to start to see naked – well, you have to be careful how you say it, but naked athletes from head to toe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can imagine that can be a little bit of an issue. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to work on uh, body tattoos, temporary tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't we segue into something you mentioned uh, with the launch of your new trail shoe? Because that yeah. caught me off guard and it caught a lot of people in the industry off guard. Um, yeah. And I've been trying to do as much research as I can on it. Um, but I feel like you might be in a better position to speak on on what's going on. Well, you know, it's it, you know, like the like the, the hydration vest, you know, these these were I was working on designs for two years before they came out and uh we've always been playing with the idea of shoes you know there's there's just the way timing works you know you can go in with a pair of shoes or five pairs of shoes or you can go in with apparel you know there's there's so many different ways to get into the industry and we just felt with the the running band it was the perfect timing and the perfect way to get into the industry so you know as you roll out your your uh your products and you you're thinking about your roadmaps for the future um, shoes were just natural for us. Um, it, it just made a lot of sense to us. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't seem like an obvious choice for a lot of people, but but the shoe follows the exact mission and ethos of the brand. We wouldn't do anything other than what we came out with. Um, so it's been a fast track. We've we've come to production in less than a year. Wow! From design. Yeah, you know, the thing now the shoe was living around in my head for a year and a half prior to that, but we were able to um, we we seem to have a knack for assembling amazing teams and resources and taking advantage of resources. We won't take no for an answer. I mean, you know, we'll cold call Mark Zuckerberg if we have to. You know, whatever it takes to to make something happen, and that's essentially what we did with our shoe. So, can you walk me through it? Maybe working from the top down. Yeah. So. So I had this idea for the shoe. Um, I'm much more of a concepts guy. I, I, I know when to get out of my way and allow the experts of the various aspects of making a product get in and get involved. So, you know, we, we looked at the idea of the shoe and the idea of the shoe was, was we, uh, we looked at soccer or football um, as the sort of the idea of the shoe. I, I love descending in mountain running. It's, 
so much fun. I mean, I'm a skier, right? So if I can just go as fast as possible downhill, I'm happy. And, and that places certain demands on shoes, but it does not place the demands that a soccer player has on the pitch. I mean, these guys are incredible athletes. They're sprinting, they're stopping, they're moving laterally side to side. It, it, anything you can you know, think of, they're doing, and it far exceeds the demands of a trail running shoe. So, so I thought, well, you know, I need to get an expert in, uh, in uh, the football industry to help me out. I, we literally just called up one of the top football shoe designers in Europe, and uh, uh, he jumped on board. And uh, Danny Dance, he came from Puma. He had all sorts of experience with professional football players. And so we spent six intensive weeks of, of working out and realizing my ideas, uh, which he's an incredible uh, craftsman at in terms of um, 3D modeling, uh, rendering, things like that. And uh, he literally was able to pull the exact shoe that I had in my head out of, out of my head, as well as contributing some amazing ideas and technology that you know he brought from football. So that meant building a shoe out of a football last which, I mean, nobody does that, you know, but we're like, hell, we're naked. This is what we do, right? We just, we're outliers. We just, you know, shoot for the moon. And, um, but, you know, we assembled the right team to do it and support. And, um, and so, so we, we, we then uh, got hold of a, a guy in China who is with a, um, a very large German shoe company uh, who is in, in uh, innovation at the time, um, pre previous to what he's doing. He has a very, very small modern factory in China, right, amongst all the other shoe manufacturers, incredibly talented guy. And um, so we started to experiment with the, the last, which is everything, especially for a laceless shoe. Uh, and that's, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't about creating a laceless shoe, although that was really appealing to me because that, that plays into the DNA of our other products, like minimalism, like what can we take away? Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of laces. I find that I'm running, I have to stop, I have to tie them up. They get caught on a root, you know, they pull apart, whatever. Um, so, um, yeah, we just assembled all these ideas and, uh, you know, worked on developing them and, and, and you know, wear testing and, and things like that. So, you know, now we're to the point where we're in production with the shoe, less than a year of, of concept. So this might be a silly question, but I think you might get asked it quite a bit. How does your foot stay in the shoe if there are no laces? That's that's the obvious question. Right. Right. That's the first question. And and that's that's the first I mean, it's a weird kind of twofold type of thing. You know, it's like we wanted to do a laceless shoe, but it wasn't the point of it. Right? The point is to improve the fit. And um, that was always the the underlying thing. And we just felt with the technology, the materials available uh, that we could go now to a laceless shoe for a high-performance shoe. I mean, we see them in athleisure um, and things like that. But for a high-performance shoe, um, it it kind of up the fit game, you know, and um, it locks your foot in. It's crazy. It's the shoe itself. If you look at the shoe, you can't see it, but it has a complete TPU overlay on the entire shoe, so it doesn't stretch. It does stretch across the top of the foot where it's a different durometer uh, uh, of TPU and then has the whole upper knit cuff and that's covered in that as well. Then obviously the, the big play is the lateral support. Um, so we have the agility cage which helps support that. The, the fit through the, the arch, the heel, 
and across the top of the vamp is is critical. And a lot of the ideas for that would come from my background with ski racing and how alpine ski boots need to fit. You know, all the customization I've gone through with that. Um, and, and it's it's hard for people that don't ski to to you know understand that. But essentially, the idea is to lock your foot down and in. Um, and then in support of the um, the TPU overlays, the the the, the soccer boot last um, is we have parallel bolsters above the ankle bone um, in the back, and that locks your foot down. Uh, one of the other little secret weapons that we've used is a anti-slip insole. Um, so uh, in running, I found for me personally that uh, if you have a removable insole, it can create some, um, some hot spots on the arch um, and various parts of the, um, the foot. So we went with a strobel stitched in insole, which reduces weight, um, it becomes more minimal. Um, but this now this, the insole it additionally locks your foot into place. And so when you're running downhill, you're not gonna get toe jammed you know, in, in the toe box. So uh, that's, that's been incredible. I mean, that's, you know, so we end up with this package that really this shoe at a 250 gram shoe for a, a US men's nine, that's a damn really light shoe for a, a, a trail shoe. Yeah. So I've noticed too that when insoles get wet in some yeah. models, they tend to kind of like jam up to the front of the toe box. Um, so that I think you're onto something with that. Because uh, I end up removing half of the factory insoles anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so walk me through the midsole. Yeah, so the midsole is an Eva foam. You know, we, we kind of talked about and played with different foams, lighter foams, you know, but it's always a balance between durability, cushion, um, longevity. Uh, this is a racing shoe, so, you know, we're expecting between three and 400 miles in it. You know, this is your kind of your race day weapon. Um, so we have an Eva, uh, Eva midsole, um, and sandwiched within that midsole is a trail-specific um, curved split forefoot uh, carbon plate and um, so it's uh it's not a high cushion shoe you know it's 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 kind of in the middle of the road it's kind of again it's it's partly with my design philosophy is to design for myself in a way and with shoes that i felt fast or comfortable in we're kind of in that range you know it's 26 millimeters the heel stack 21 forefoot so that leaves you with a five millimeter drop just enough but you know it's it's not flat, um, and um, so that's yeah it's an Eva midsole. And uh, how did you settle on the carbon plate on the shape of it at least? Um, so we looked at it in terms of uh, when I was working with Danny, we looked at it almost like an amphibian or a rock crawler type vehicle where everything, each wheel or each you know hand or arm works independently. Uh, You've got, you know, you, you've got, let's say, you know, everybody's got a, a carbon plate in their road shoes, but road shoes are kind of like a downhill ski. They're very directional. You know, you're not having to turn a, a whole lot. Um, so what we wanted to be able to do was to be able to, let's say you're running up hills, to push off of your, uh, your toe, or if you're descending, to place your toe. Um, but you need to be able to have the shoe kind of work somewhat independently throughout the different zones of the shoe. So that necessitated a, um, uh, a split uh, uh, forefoot on that. And uh, then it's curved as well through the profile. So uh, yeah, I think that ground feel is one of the things that I look for in a shoe. And I'm like always hesitant to see 
companies come out with carbon plated trail shoes because I yeah. think a lot of them tend to kind of compromise that ground feel. But it sounds like you had that in mind when you were really thinking about inserting a carbon plate. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't for fashion, you know, and um, nobody sees it in the shoe. So, you know, unless we tell them it has a carbon plate, there's no way that they're going to know. Um, I obviously feels super important, even over longer distances, right? Especially for a technical mountain racing shoe where your foot placement's critical. You know, it could mean that it could be the difference by, you know, falling off of a shale slope, you know, and killing yourself. So um, that's important. Also, the profile of the sole, it's it's not a flat sole. It, it does have an arch to it. It does have a heel and it does have the forefoot. So, you know, we're talking, again, three different zones. Uh, I think that helps with the with the uh, the feel because your, your foot can work independently, so to speak. So talk me through the outsole. Uh, you mentioned you have a partnership with Vibram, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that that came about through Getaminas, uh, being a uh, a longtime Vibram athlete. Uh, he's consequently um, now moved to close to the Vibram factory in Italy. Um, is he's very much more involved in development now and things like that. So he made the introduction because you know I thought there's no way that our little brand is going to get a partnership with a company like that, right? Eighty plus years of technology, and um, they were they were great. We met with the team in North America. Uh, we we went forward. Um, we had the outsole design already in place, but again, you know, you got to recognize who's better at doing certain things in your business. And um, so I, I spoke with the designer at Vibraman and he said, we said, look, we got this it's really cool lug pattern. You know, we'd like to kind of stay with that, but you guys are the experts. So now it's your turn to take over, right? And uh, we were really stoked because, you know, we, we use their latest technology. We use the Mega Grip rubber. We have uh, light base. Uh, we have traction lugs, which is a new lug system for them. And inc- incorporated that into our, our basic um, our, uh, lug pattern. Uh, and they're all variable depth lugs. You know, you've got five millimeters on the heel. You've got four on the forefoot. And you have, depending on, you know, two to three on the arch. So, uh it, it it's uh, it's an amazing partnership. Uh, they're super supportive. Uh, we have access to some incredible athletes. We have uh, this summer we're going to have a team of about seven Vibram athletes wearing the shoes. Uh, we currently have uh, the head of their sports marketing division doing testing on the shoe, and she's basically freaking out over the shoe. She loves it so much. So um, so that's that's really encouraging, and it gives us some really amazing. Uh, feedback. Yeah, you're definitely in, in good hands with Vibram. Um, I, I think, think so. Yeah. They're kind of like, in my mind, the gold standard of of grip on the market right now. Um, yeah. How did you settle on the different lug lengths? Because that's kind of unique. Yeah, it's it, well, that was a, that was partly, um, you know, in, in, in working in concert with the, the Vibram designers. Um, I, it's just, you know, here's there's just like I mean, okay. Let's say you, you we have um, a few lugs in the uh, the arch, right? And a lot of shoe companies won't put lugs in the arch, um, but there are times when you might step on a root or a rock where you need that traction, and um, and so we just felt like you know just changing up the, the the lug depths made sense for that portion or that region of the sole in your foot, so that's why. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine is uh, models that don't have like full length outsoles and just kind of 
decide to shave weight by like removing yeah. lugs uh, under the arch. Cause you're totally right. If I'm on a scree field or yeah. running on something really slippery, like I want kind of that full length of grip um, yeah. on my outsole. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and up here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of wet, wet roots and things like that. And, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it's, I guess, negligible how effective a lug is on a wet route, you know, not much sticks to that. But, but uh, we do find times that we're running up here that for sure that that little bit in the arch is, is very helpful. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll play with with different um, uh, lugs, pad, lug patterns and depths, depending on, you know, the shoe rollout and what follows this shoe, because we have other shoes on the drawing board. So uh, we'll have various iterations of this shoe. Um, and we'll play with that. Yeah, I was I was going to note that I found it interesting um, that you guys decided to kind of debut, make your debut in the footwear space with a trail trail racing specific shoe instead of maybe yeah. like a daily trainer. Um, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, that that follows our our, our strategy for the brand. Um, we have a pyramid strategy where we want to create the the most uh, uh, highly techni- technical. Uh, products at the very top, which it's, it's, it, it creates that, that tone for the brand. And then we can, uh, you know, fan out with subcategories from there. So that gives us the credibility on the lower priced or the less demanding type products that would be available. Um, and, and that's just a strategy we follow for everything. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like a lot of car brands or in fashion, they have haute couture, and then they have the other sub brands below that, but they all follow that kind of guiding light, if you wish, of the top tier uh, products. So when is the shoe coming out? It's um, it's available for pre-sale now. It's coming out, it's shipping the factory on the uh, second week of August. Uh, but as the world is going right now, it could be on a ship for a very long time. We will be bringing in uh, by air, um, uh, a limited supply uh, just to get people in the shoe to begin with, uh, but it is shipping in uh, the, the end of August, early September. What has been some of the feedback from the athletes that uh, you have wear testing it? The, the best feedback we've gotten is the feedback that pertains to what the shoe was designed for. You know, it, it's, it, we don't want to design a racing shoe and everybody goes, well, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cool shoe for walking around on the pavement in. Well, you, you completely miss the point, right? At that at that point, so so it's a it's a shoe that you could run in a Western States or Hard Rock or UTMB or Sky Races for sure. It's an ideal shoe for sky running, um, technical terrain, vertical kilometers, uh, vertical kilometers especially, which is obviously a very niche type of a, a race. But um, it's a shoe that where there's a high demand on on good footwork. Um, and safety and speed. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see why you would pull from um, from soccer cleats for that. Uh, yeah. Those are, you know, essentially ballet slippers with uh, with studs yeah. on them. Yeah. Now, having having said soccer cleats, you know, we don't have that. Soccer cleats tend to be extremely narrow. Yeah. And um, uh, and this this is yes, it is through the 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 heel area and the arch. But even if you have wide feet, for the most part, people's heel areas are fairly narrow or they're more of a medium. Uh, but we have a pretty standard toe box, so there is room for toe splay. 
um, but not too much where you, you, you're sacrificing control. Um, I find that wide toe box shoes for me personally, I'm sacrificing a little something in my control. Yeah. And I, I don't like that feeling. I agree. Um, do you have plans to get these in run specialty shops? We do. We do. I mean, we place a high premium on run specialty. We're, we're pretty selective on this, the shops that we're in. Um, we like to work with stores that are very knowledgeable and specific on their, um, on the customer base, uh, that tends not to be big, uh, chain type running stores, um, as proven with our other products, you know, there is a, there are, I think our buyers are pretty sophisticated. They really know, um, uh, what they're looking for. The running band, of course, is, is that, that appeals to everybody. You know, we're, we're, we get used for, I mean, you know, we get, uh, we, we have diabetics even using the, uh, the, the, to put their pump in, which is amazing, you know, and they put it under their shirt and they go about their day. And, and so we're reaching a, a really broad audience with that. But uh, Run Specialty is a great support for a small brand and, and we can work in concert with them with through, you know, regional events and things like that. Before I get you out of here, I wanted to ask you um, one more question just about like the general trail running market. Um, sure. we, we see all these like smaller companies, boutique brands like um, Norda and Speedland and Atreyu and like Killian's brand, Normal, yeah. Uh, yeah. and now Naked jumping into um, the footwear space. What do you think that says about the state of trail running and maybe where it's going? Because, you know, it's it's been a space that's been dominated by these huge players like Hoka and Nike and Solomon mm-hmm. Forever that have mm-hmm. like such high budgets. Um, yeah. Curious well, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, you know, the big brands started out as small brands for the most part. You know, uh, the guys at Ultra, you know, they did an amazing job in, in their kitchen. Um, you know, Phil Knight did the same thing with Bowerman. Um, you know, we all start out small. Now, some companies have a lot more to begin with. Um, but what, what we find is that we, we're very uh, dynamic and liquid. We can make decisions quickly. Uh, it comes down to, to me and my brother. And I control all the design aspects. So uh, we can move pretty quickly on stuff, uh, as we've proven with the shoe. Um, I think that the reason why people are getting into it, it's, a, it's a, just a really cool space. It's a really interesting space now, especially with trail running. And, and one of the reasons why we started with the trail shoe is, well, it's the big part of the DNA of our product range. But we found that there was a, a lacking of innovation. Now, you get into road running marathon shoes. I mean, that's a nuclear arms race of technology. And we'll get there, but we, we want to get there when we can, you know, do something big as well. Uh, we felt that trail running was the perfect segue. And, you know, we're, fe- we're seeing more and more trail runners. It's, it's, we become kids when we're running down a trail. You know, it's easier for people to do and get outside and, you know, hit a trail, whether it's in their park or the high mountains or wherever, you know. So it, it just made perfect sense. Awesome. Well, I think that is a good spot to end things today. Uh, cool. Thanks for talking with me. I'm, I'm really excited to, to see these shoes in person. Yeah, they're, they're quite special. They're beautiful and they feel amazing in your hands. They're, they're so simple and minimal, but the craftsmanship is phenomenal and they're super light. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I hope we'll get up here to you as soon as possible. And they're available for pre-order now, right? They are available for pre-order now. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's, uh, it's available on our website, uh, www.nakedsportsinnovations.com. And you can learn all about them. There's a ton of data on the shoes there. And 
And we're going to see a lot more uh, stuff come out with the, uh, the Vibram uh, athletes throughout the summer on uh, their experiences in the, in the races and tra- uh, testing and training. Cool. So, well, yeah. I'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for it. All right, Matt. All right. Uh, really appreciate the discussion. Of course. This, was, yeah. this has been a lot of fun. Oh, I'm honored, man. It's, I love Blister. It's the number one review site in the world as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, yeah, I'm stoked. Awesome. All right. Yeah. See ya. Okay. Thanks, Matt. All right. Well, it is now time for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. And it is today, Wednesday, July 20th. And I am back in Ketchum, Idaho. Very happy to be back in Ketchum. And so on the one hand, I'm celebrating a return to Ketchum because I love this place and this community. I also want to raise a glass to my very good friends, Maddie O'Brien. Sometimes he goes by Matthew, but sometimes, and a lot of the times, he goes by Maddie. So feel free to call him Maddie if you ever meet Maddie in person. But Maddie and Jamie, I actually met one year ago here in Ketchum because it was the first time that I had ever been out to the Sun Valley Museum of Arts wine auction. And that probably deserves its own podcast in and of itself, both, well, a podcast about the Sun Valley Museum of Art, which is a really remarkable institution, this now 41st annual wine auction that is a fundraiser for the Museum of Art. That's quite a thing. But someday down the line, there might be an episode about my meeting of Matthew and Jamie at this thing a year ago. Kind of a hilarious story, but we're going to skip that for now. But I had dinner with them last night. We had a great time. I'm going to be seeing them the next couple of days. And I brought them some Whistlepig six-year-old piggyback, some Whistlepig 10-year, and some Whistlepig 12-year. So we're going to just do a little sampling, you know, when we aren't off sampling some extremely good wines at the wine auction. Uh, Actually, I was at Matthew and Jamie's house last night. I know for a fact that Matthew has Whistlepig 12-year-old in his collection. So that one might be a little redundant. So maybe we'll just, you know work our way through a little six and 10 year. So that is what I'll be doing with some friends of mine, now dear friends of mine, who I guess I met like exactly one year ago, but they're great people. And a little teaser, I effectively recruited them last night to be part of a new initiative that you all are going to be learning about very soon on Blister. So I think there will be a launch of like August 2nd, August 3rd on this new thing. So just a couple weeks out. But I am very happy to have recruited Matthew and Jamie on this project. And I assure you, they will make this new thing better than it otherwise would have been. So there you go. Here's to good people, newish friends, and friends that are also going to just make Blister better, right? It's like winning on all these different fronts. And I should also say, while I'm here in Ketchum, I am anticipating recording a few more conversations out here. So one of those conversations should be going up this coming Monday on our Blister podcast. I'm excited for you to hear that 
conversation. And, you know, we'll do our best to uh, record some other interesting talks with some very cool people. So I'm working on it. And that then brings us to the end of this particular edition of Gear 30. Uh, I want to say thanks to Matt Mitchell, our running editor, who's been doing a hell of a job with the running section at Blister. Uh, thanks to Lindsay Dakota for his thoughts on design and the creation of a company. I want to say thanks, of course, to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And, you know, thanks to all of you for listening. And finally, from the entire team at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will be talking to you again this coming Monday with this conversation recorded in Ketchum, but about Sun Valley. There's a teaser. All right. We'll talk to you soon, everybody. Take care.